Hey everyone, welcome. It's very nice to see all of you here. Well, thank you for being here today or for joining us online um, for our time of corporate worship. I don't know about you, but honestly, I find I am really prepared um, to engage in worship when I come to church on the weekends. Often my mind is just preoccupied with the events of the day, of the morning, of the week. And I suspect many of you can relate to this as well. So I hope that the songs we sing today will help us gradually take our minds and our attention away from our lives and then gradually to God. Before we sing, um, I want to give you a moment to pause. Let's close our eyes. Let's be still and look back at your week. And in your hearts, praise God for the times that you've seen Him at work. Let's close our eyes and let's do that now.
We come before you today and we acknowledge that you are Almighty God, faithful in love and ever present with us through your Spirit. Thank you for the week gone by, through the joys, the challenges, and even in the mundane, you have been with us. We thank you for Jesus, who has saved us from the power of sin and death, and it is through faith in him that we draw near to you today, and that we can call you our Father. So Heavenly Father, please help us open the eyes of our hearts we may see more of you in your glory today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Well, we now come to the time of the Lord's Supper. Before we talk about the Lord's Supper, let me bring up a very intriguing passage in Mark chapter 2. Now, in that passage, what we have is that we have Jesus, and he calls Levi, the tax collector, to come and follow him. And on that evening, and we find Jesus having dinner at Levi's house together with the tax collectors and the sinners. Now, because of this, the Pharisees, they were talking. I mean, why, why does he do that? They couldn't believe and they couldn't understand why he would be doing that, why he would be having a meal with tax collectors and sinners. Now, it's important to know why they are asking that question. Now, for us, having a meal together is not a big deal. It's something that we do all the time. But in those days, when you have an invitation to a person's table or to have a meal together at someone's house, it is significant because it is considered an offer of peace or protection or an offer or gesture of friendship to the other person. And in accepting that invitation, you are saying, I'm ex- um, accepting that offer and I'm also providing the same for you. So with Jesus accepting and eating dinner together with the sinners and tax collectors, effectively he's saying, I'm expecting, accepting your offer of peace and protection and friendship. And I'm offering the same to you. That's why the Pharisees and the teachers of the Lord, they were talking, how can a teacher of the law be doing that? And when we come to the Lord's Supper, every single week, that's exactly what Jesus is doing for us. He's inviting us to join Him at His table through His offer of grace, through His offer of what He has done for us. It is an invitation for us as His believers. We look back to what He has done for us through His life, through His death, through His resurrection. And that cost that cost for him to invite us to that table, to that table of the feast of grace, his, his life and, and death and resurrection. And our response, we should be receiving and accepting that grace that's offered to us. And one of the things that we are also asked to do is to look forward, look forward to the future, to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19 verse 7 Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Verse 9 Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And those of us who have believed, followed, accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are all invited to, to this feast, this feast of grace to the table of Jesus So tonight, He is inviting us to His table, His table of grace. We accept by believing in Him and by partaking of the communion elements, saying that we accept and we are coming to join Him. Sinners saved by grace grace alone. And some of us here, we may be thinking, we may be feeling that, you know, we are undeserving, we are unworthy because of the sins we have committed, because of what we have done. Maybe we are feeling deep shame the weight of our guilt because of what has happened in your life but know this Christ invites you all the same Christ invites you to have your sins cleansed 
Christ invites you to believe in Him, to follow Him, He invites you to His table, to His feast of grace. That is the offer for us this evening. So as we come, we come to this feast of grace. We come to Jesus. Come to repent and follow Him. And as we partake of the communion elements this evening, remember what Christ has done for us. Remember His grace. Remember His death on the cross and His resurrection three days after. Let me pray. Father, we come before You. We thank You. We thank You for Jesus who loved us and gave Himself for us. We thank You that He has invited us to join Him at this feast of grace. That the cost of that invitation is His life. A life that we should have lived a death that we should have died but yet Father He has freely given that to us so Father this evening as we partake of the communion elements help us to rejoice and be glad and give glory to Jesus alone and Father as we take of the bread help us to remember Jesus His body given to us as we take of the cup help us to remember the blood of Jesus shed for us in his name we pray. Amen. So if you're here, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is an invitation to you to come and partake of the communion elements. Parents, if this is something that you have explained to your children and they understand what it means to take communion, we invite them forward as well. But if you haven't done that, that's okay. But use this as an opportunity to explain what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to take communion can join us next week and for those of you who are here you're not a christian we just ask that you remain seated but we are glad that you're here this evening and please know please know that this offer of grace is open to you let me invite the first few rows to uh, be standing and come forward to start taking the communion elements please hold the bread and hold the cup we will partake them together
This is the body of Christ given to us. Let's eat together. And this is the blood of Christ given for us. Let's drink together. Let us pray. Father, we, once again, we thank you for this invitation to the table of Jesus. We thank you for his death and his resurrection, through which we can now call you our Father, and we can call him our brother, and our King, and our Lord. And now we have the Holy Spirit in us, comforting us, our advocate. We thank you for all that you have done for us in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Stand and let's sing this next song together.
cling to you, Lord. Please teach us your way that we may rely on your faithfulness and give us undivided hearts, Lord, that we may fear your name more today than we did before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please say hi to somebody sitting around you before you take a seat. Can you hear me? Hello. Good evening, everyone. It's nice to see you all here tonight. Um, if you've not yet met me, my name is Debbie, and I have the great privilege of being on the team here at Subi. So I'm here to do scripture at Subi. So if you're new or you're visiting, uh, as a church family, we've been memorizing scripture together. So we do one verse a month, um, and we do it as a church family. So we ask the kids to join us. So it is our second week, which means that we get the words on the screen. Great. So, we'll say it together. We begin with the chapter and then the verse, and then we say the actual verse. Are we all ready? Great. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Fantastic. Thanks, kids, for helping us with that. It's now time for you guys to head out for your Subi Kids classes. If you're visiting or you're new and you have primary school age children, we do have a program that runs concurrent with our services. Um, they have a lot of fun. They learn about Jesus. And uh, if you are new, so uh, please feel free to take your kids up now, meet the teachers, and then head back down for the rest of the service. Uh, well, welcome again, everyone. Uh, we would like to extend a special warm welcome to you if it's your first time or if you're visiting with us today. Um, there are people around the church with a red lanyard around their necks. They're part of our Connect team. Uh, they're especially here to help answer any questions you might have about our church and our ministries. But please feel free to stick around after the service and get to know someone new. We'd love to get to know you. A really simple way that you can get connected into our church is through our Connect cards. So there might be a physical card on a seat nearby you. Um, if not, you can scan the QR code on the seat, on the back of the seat that's in front of you. Um, we'd really love it if you could fill one in, even just to let us know that you're here. Um, but most importantly, if there's things that we could be praying with and for you for, um, and if there's better ways that we can be serving you, we'd love to hear that. So please take the time to fill one out now. Another part of our regular uh, weekly practices here at Subi is to take up an offering. So we do this primarily online, and we encourage you to set up a regular payment through your bank. However, if you prefer to give physically, that's okay. There's a box on the left-hand side of the auditorium, so you can use that on your way out. Uh, would you join me now as we pray for our offering? Gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for all that you have done for us. We thank you that we are never under the obligation to give to you, but we have the opportunity to give to you uh, in praise, in worship, and in thankfulness for all that you have done for us in Jesus. And so uh, we ask, Lord, as we give to you this week, uh, that you might be glorified, that you would use this money for the sake of growing your kingdom, so that many more may come to know Jesus, our great Lord and King, the one who is also our Saviour and our brother. And we ask all this in his name. Amen. So as you might be um, filling in a Connect card, we just have a few announcements to bring to your attention. Uh, so there is a lot of stuff that's happening in the life of our church here at Subi. Um, so the first one is uh, we have a Senior Pastor Search Committee update. So uh, this coming week, um, the elders are meeting with the three final candidates 
who have been selected by the search committee. So we would really value your prayers for the elders as they meet with the candidates. Please be praying for the candidates as well. Pray for wisdom and discernment. Um, next is our young adults lunch. So that's happening tomorrow after the 10.45 service. Now, if it's warm and sunny, in other words, the opposite of what is happening right now outside, um, they will be meeting at the Theatre Gardens, which is just out there past the school, um, BYO Food and Drink. But if it's rainy and stormy, I think they're going to be meeting here. So just come here after the 10.45 service if you're interested in coming for that. Uh, and this Wednesday is our hour of prayer. So the best hour of your week is happening. So this is Wednesday the 18th of May from 7 to 8 p.m. It will happen uh, in the church cafe, but if you are unwell and you prefer to join in online, you can do so via our Zoom link. So if you are part of our regular mailing list and you get our regular emails, you'll receive the link. But if you're not and you haven't received these emails, please indicate on your Connect card and we will get that email to you this week. Next Sunday, Lord willing, we will have a church picnic. So that's uh, the Sunday, the 22nd of May. It's going to happen from 10.15 a.m. Now, Subi is a relatively large church. We have three services, and it's really uh, nice when we all get together. So we did one of these last year. It was a great time of fellowship. So we encourage you all to come for Saturday, uh, or you can come on the Sunday. Um, so we'll be, joining, uh, we'll be joining together all the three services in the Subi Primary School Oval. Um, there will be a pizza van, a coffee van, a petting zoo, and a bouncy castle, which apparently the adults can join in on as well. So if you like that kind of stuff, please uh, make, make that a goal to be at next week. Uh, and lastly, our beloved Pastor Chin is running a course on the book of Revelation. So Revelation is an interesting book. It's quite mysterious for us as Christians. Um, so it doesn't have to be that way. Um, so Pastor Chin will be going through an eight-week course on this book. Um, it will come to be known as a great book that unveils Christ to us and ultimately helps us to persevere in the midst of suffering as we uh, go through this life. Um, the cost is $10 just to print resources, um, but if you can put that in your diary, so that's starting on the 29th of May. It will run for eight Sundays um, from 1 to 3 p.m. in the activity room upstairs. If you're interested or you're thinking about coming, please indicate uh, to us on your Connect card if you'd like that. And that's all from me. Good evening, church. The Bible reading for this weekend is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand science, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, 
Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Thank you, Jen. Yeah. Thank you, Jen. What a great passage as we're reminded that we have no boast in life apart from Christ who has become for us wisdom from God. Let us pray. Father God, as we come before you on this day, help us to see Christ as the fullness of your wisdom, as the ultimate display of your great understanding and as our only boast, our only hope. Let us rejoice in him and be glad, for he is not unable to empathise with us in our weaknesses. Open up your word to us on this day through the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what good things you have in store for those who love you. Help me to uh, preach faithfully and clearly as I expound God's word today. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Hello everyone, my name is Jordan and I am the youth pastor here at Subi Church. I'm up here two weeks in a row, can you believe it? Some of you might be thinking, How? we haven't seen Jordan for two years, how did he get up there two weeks in a row? And the truth is that I'm actually doing a preaching unit at Trinity Theological College and part of that uh, Part of doing that unit is I have to preach two sermons, one on the Old Testament, one on the New Testament. So last week was the New Testament passage, and this week is the Old. Uh, same purpose as last week, I pray that I can preach faithfully and clearly from the text, and I'm going to ask you now all to stand for the reading of the Word of God. Our reading today comes from the book of Job, chapter 28. <clears throat> it is titled, Where is Wisdom Found? There is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Mortals put an end to the darkness. They search out the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. Far from human dwellings, they cut a shaft in places untouched by human feet. Far from other people, they dangle and sway. The earth from which food comes is transformed below as fire. Lapis lazuli come from its rocks, and its dust contains nuggets of gold. No bird of prey knows that hidden path, and no falcon's eye has seen it. Proud beasts do not set foot on it, and no lion prowls there. People assault the flinty rock with their hands, and they lay bare the roots of the mountain. They tunnel through the rock, and their eyes see all of its treasures. They search the sources of the rivers and bring hidden things to light. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not with me. And the sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest of gold, nor can, it, can its price be weighed out in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir, with precious onyx or lapis lazuli. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. 
Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Cush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought even with pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Destruction and death say only a rumour of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it. And he alone knows where it dwells, for he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm. He looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and he tested it and he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, this is wisdom to shun evil, is understanding. You may be seated. The title of our passage today is, Where is Wisdom Found? And so the question for us to consider is, where is wisdom found? Where do we look for wisdom? Where do we go to find it? And so when I considered preaching this text, I thought I'm going to have to ask someone, you know, maybe like an expert, someone who I think is the best person to ask. And so I picked my five-year-old son up from pre-primary and as we journeyed on the way home, I thought I'll hit him with the tough questions, you know. So I said, Theo, I said, listen, buddy, he goes, yeah, Dad. And I said, where do we find the answers to life's big questions? I thought he would ponder a moment because he's five, but he didn't. He said, nowhere. He said, nowhere, Dad. I thought he was going to say, after that, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. But he didn't. He said, nowhere. And he thought, just for a moment, and then he said, it's just in my brain. It's just in my brain. And I thought, gee whiz, I wish it was like that for me. I wish it was just in my brain. But I think if we asked a variety of people, where is wisdom found, we would get quite a variety of answers. Some might say that wisdom is just great common sense, right? street smarts. Some might say that wisdom is the result of an examined life, that it's just someone who sort of learns from their experiences. Some might say that wisdom is found and provided by our great universities. They are the places where you come to understand great disciplines in depth. But I don't think that many would say that the greatest wisdom in life is displayed in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, most would say that that is foolishness, as we just read. But we have also read that Christ has become for us wisdom from God. And so we have to consider what that means. And so this presents us with a challenge. Where do we look for wisdom? What is wisdom and where is it found? Now, this brings us to the story of Job. He is a man on a quest for wisdom. That is what the book of Job is effectively about. It's about a man longing for answers, longing for answers to some of life's biggest and toughest questions. And so what is Job's story? Most of us here will be pretty familiar with the book of Job. But for those who aren't, Job is presented right at the start of the book as a blameless and upright man, a man who fears God and who shuns evil, a man who loves God, a faithful man, a respected man. He is well respected. He has everything, really. He has a large family. He has his health and his wealth. He has a really wonderful, great, blessed life. And then all of a sudden we're snatched out at the start of the book. We're snatched out of Job's sort of circumstances in his life and we're taken into the heavenly realms where Satan comes into the presence of God. And Job is presented. He's put up for discussion. God says, have you considered my servant? He is blameless and upright. A man who fears God and shuns evil. And Satan basically responds and says, he only loves you because you bless him. 
He only loves you because you protect him. If you were only to take away his health and his wealth and his relationships and his respect, he would curse you to your face, God. And so Job's faith is tested and suffering, suffering comes before Job. He loses everything. He loses all of his children. He loses all of his possessions. They're either stolen or destroyed or burnt up. He loses his own health. He's inflicted with great pain and suffering and sores. And ultimately that means that he loses his respect. And so this is a man who has nothing. He has nothing left. Literally he has been stripped of everything that he had. And so Job is in a deep, dark place of grief. Now when you are in grief, in that place, you have comforters normally. People who love you, who care about you. And this is what it was for Job. He had friends that came to comfort him. And they offered him their wisdom. They offered him their understanding. But ultimately what they said was they said, Job, you are only suffering because you have sinned greatly against God. They had no room in their view of God. They had no room in their theology for God to allow an innocent man to suffer, a just man, a righteous man to suffer. They said, no, God doesn't do that. The reason you have lost everything, Job, is because you are a sinner. You have sinned. You've done something vile you've done something wrong before a holy god and that is why suffering has come against you now it is important to point out that god says that they have that job's comforters have lied about him end of the book they've lied about him why have they lied about him it is because in their theology they have no room for a god who would allow a righteous man to suffer which means that they have no room for christ they have no room for christ now, Job, on the other hand, he is forced to find room, isn't he? Because he knows that he loves God. Right? He knows that he's faithful. And so he has to ponder it. He has to think about it. He has to go, why is this happening to me? And that is the fundamental question that actually permeates the entire book of Job. How can a just God allow an innocent man to suffer? How can a just God allow an innocent man to suffer? And Job wants to know why. Is God not good? Does God not love me? Is God unjust? At the start of the book, Job is presented three times as a man who is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and who shuns evil. And, and two of those times are on the lips of God. Now, God qualifies that statement by saying, there is no one on earth like Job. No one on earth like Job. Now, when you think about who is a unique, righteous, innocent sufferer, our mind should be taken straight away to Jesus. And that is right. And in this way, we see that Job is a shadow of Christ. He is a type of Christ. There are, lo there are heaps of them in the Old Testament. Even the promises all point to Christ. He is the fulfillment of all these things. And so we should expect that as we come into the passage and we see it. Now, the phrase to fear God and to shun evil or to turn from evil is, is the Old Testament's definition of wisdom. So if we want to go, what is wisdom in the Old Testament? That's what it is. It's like a reverent awe of God and obedience to him. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But there is another kind of wisdom. A wisdom that belongs only to God. A wisdom that sort of hovers above it all. Proverbs 3.19 says, By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundation. By understanding he set the heavens in place. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. 
how unsearchable his judgment and judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. This is a wisdom that is concerned with absolute understanding, the decretal will of God, how he has ordained for things to be the order of the universe, the purpose of all things. These are things that belong to God in his wisdom. And that is the wisdom that Job is after. That is the wisdom that we are talking about in this sermon. And you see, the issue with that is we can only ever obtain this wisdom from God if he reveals it to us, if we have a God who speaks if we have a God who acts. One commentator on the book of Job calls this wisdom, wisdom with a capital W. It is the ultimate wisdom. And this is the wisdom that Job is after. He's not interested. He's not wondering where should I invest my money. He wants to know why his life has turned out this way. That is what Job wants. Now, at the heart of the book, you get a poem. It's an interlude. It's like... A rest, it's like a break from all the endless talking of Job's comforters and friends. You kind of go, it kind of just draws you out of it, it pulls you out of the book. It's not part of the conversation. And it's not even clear that it's Job who's speaking, it's almost just inserted in there. Obviously inspired, but it's there. And so it is important for us to consider this poem, I think. I actually think this poem is almost the interpretive key to the book, and so let us uh, think about it. Now, we read it before, but it is a poem that is about mining. It starts off talking about mining. Now, that's an odd thing. This is actually the earliest account of this kind of mining that we have in human history. But in any case, it talks about mining. And you might wonder, what has mining got to do with Job? But is not mining, underground mining, the quest to go into a deep, dark place for something of great value? And is that not what Job is doing? Is he not journeying into a deep, dark place of his grief? He's been thrust into there and he is longing for something of great value. He actually cries out in the book, if only I knew where I could find him. If only I knew where I could find God. Let us consider the text. There is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth, and copper is smelted from ore. Mortals put an end to the darkness. They search out the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. It truly is in the blackest darkness for Job. And notice that it is a task not for every living thing, but for mortals. It actually goes on to say only human feet can go there. You see, it's not for everything. It's for those that are created in the image of God. We are the only ones that are able to ask these questions of life. Why am I here? Why is there something rather than nothing? Is there purpose to life? And so this is a quest for those that are created in the image of God. Verse 4. Far from human dwellings, they cut a shaft in places untouched by human feet. Far from other people, they dangle and they sway. Notice that two times it says far. Far from other people and far from human dwellings. There is a sense in which suffering and grief and loneliness suffering and grief is a lonely place. It is a place far, far away from the every the everyday sort of life, hustle and bustle of people. Suffering, grief and depression. Certainly lonely places. I think Johnny Cash actually captures this well in his song, The Reverend Mr. Black. The chorus goes like this. You've got to walk that lonesome valley. You've got to walk it by yourself. There ain't nobody here who can walk it for you. You have to walk it by yourself. You have to walk it by yourself. It is a lonely quest. But we know that as Christians, 
We are not completely alone in the depths of our suffering. We actually have a good shepherd who can meet his sheep where they're at. It doesn't matter where you are, even in the darkest valley, Jesus Christ can meet you there. He seeks out those who are lost. That is what we learnt last week. I knew that I could bring that in somehow into this week's passage. And so for Job... He is on a lonely quest into a dark place. Now verse 5 says, The earth from which food comes is transformed below as fire. Lapis lazuli comes from its rocks and its dust contains nuggets of gold. It literally says the earth from which bread comes. It's sort of a comparison against what we get on the surface, something that comes easily. It just grows. The produce and that sort of thing underneath is harder to get. It takes, it's, it takes blood and sweat and tears and the heat. It says, verse 7, no bird of prey knows that hidden path. No falcon's eye has seen it. Isn't it interesting that it says, even for the bird with the great eyesight, even for the falcon, wisdom is out of sight. not see it. Might have to grab a mic, I think. No falcon's eye has seen it. What about power? Can it be taken with power? Can it be held onto with power? It says, no, it says, proud beasts do not set foot on it. No lion prowls there. Thanks, Deb. I don't know how this happens on the Saturday night service every time. That's all right. All right. No bird can see it. Right? It's out of sight even for the bird with the greatest eyesight. It cannot be claimed with power. The lion in all of its might, the king of the beast, cannot claim it, cannot lay hold of wisdom. And see, for Job, and so it cannot be claimed with power. Now, not even, sorry. Verse 9. People assault the flinty rock with their hands. They lay bare the roots of the mountain. They tunnel through the rock and their eyes see all of its treasures. They search the sources of the rivers and bring hidden things to light. Now there is a sense in which this just describes the quest throughout the book. This is almost the discussion that's been going on through the book. They have been plummeting the depths of their knowledge and their understanding of God and they have been uncovering wonderful things, great treasures. But have they found the treasure that Job seeks? Obviously not. Verse 12 says, But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? And so the suspense comes. Like you sit there and you think, Come on, Job. You've got to be able to find it. Keep it up. And then it says that he hasn't found it. Verse 13, No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, It is not in me. And the sea says, It is not with me. And now, if anything, the search turns completely hopeless. It says that wisdom is not found in the land of the living. And so what about things that aren't living? And so the deep is personified and the sea is personified. And it says, deep is wisdom with you. And the deep says, no, it is not with me. And sea is the wisdom with you. And the sea says, no, it is not with me. But it is priceless. He must find it. What about can he buy it? Maybe he can buy it. I wonder whether Elon Musk, Elon Musk with his 61 billion can buy it. Surely. Verse 15, it says, It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed out in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir, with precious onyx or lapis lazuli. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Cush cannot compare with it and it cannot be bought even with pure gold. This is the great paradox of wisdom, that we need it, but we can't possess it. And once again, the question is asked, where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? 
Verse 21, it is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds of the sky. Once again, it is not in the land of the living. What about with the dead? Well, destruction and death say only a rumor of it has reached our ears. You see, they are personified. They are placed on trial. Death, do you know where wisdom is? Destruction, literally the angel of the abyss. Do you have it? And they said, no, we don't have it. We have only heard a rumor of it. We have only heard a rumor of it. And so the poem concludes. Verses 23. God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and he tested it. And he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. And so we find it. It is with God. It is kind of good news, but also not good news. Because it is with him, it cannot be with us. The very reasons that the poem gives that it belongs to God, we can never have those things. I cannot view the ends of the earth. I cannot see everything under the heavens. I cannot establish the force of the wind, give the wind its weight, or measure out the waters. I cannot decree how many millimeters of rain will fall from the heavens. And I cannot determine the path of the lightning bolt as it plummets to the earth. He has confirmed it and tested it. In short, what the poem says is that God is God and I am not. And Job is not. And it finishes by taking us right back to the very start. It says, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. But that is exactly how Job has already been described. Job is on a quest for wisdom, but the Lord says that Job is already a wise man. Now, I would love to say that Job realized all of this before he went too far, but he didn't, you see. To justify himself, Job eventually throws God under the bus. He eventually considers that maybe God is not just. And for this, God responds. Job chapter 40, verse 8. Would you discredit my justice, Job? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? Can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty, Job. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you, Job, that your own right hand can save you, that your own power can save you. Now, Job acknowledges that this is right. God goes on for a while. It's quite amazing. And Job eventually acknowledges this. He says to God in chapter 42, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is it that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, too wonderful for me to know. And so you see the fundamental question to the book is, can God be a just God and allow a righteous man to suffer? And the answer is yes. Now, for Job, it was to prove the genuineness of his faith. But Job is a man who points to another, a greater man. You see, it would be Jesus who would truly be tested by God. The unique righteous sufferer, the man who gets cast completely into outer darkness, going all the way down even to death, death on a cross. 
It is Christ. Now, as we finish, let us consider three things. Let us consider where wisdom is not found. Then we will consider where wisdom is found. And finally, what does wisdom look like for us? Where wisdom is not found. This kind of wisdom is not found anywhere apart from God. We've learned that from the passage. Apart from his word, he has to reveal it to us. And he has. Right? He's given us his word. Now, we can't know all things like God, but we can know some things truly. See, these days we rely on our great universities to provide and endow our future leaders with wisdom. And there was a time when our great universities understood that the beginning of wisdom was God. Once upon a time, they knew that without God, there was no foundation for morality. They knew that without God, they cannot retain a value for human life. This is something that Christians have because we believe that people are created in the image of God. They knew that God was the highest level of explanation for the natural world. When Newton discovered gravity, he didn't say, oh, now I don't need God. He was moved with affection and admiration for the God who had designed it that way. But now our universities have largely dismissed the importance of God. Harvard University, the great Harvard University, has a motto. It is veritas, which means truth. It's beautiful, isn't it? But they used to have a motto that said, veritas Christo et ecclesia, truth for Christ and his church. You see, they have thrown away God and they think that they can retain wisdom, but they can't. Why? Because wisdom is not found with power, with wealth, with privilege with just the natural sciences. Wisdom is found with God. Ultimate truth is found with God. It is found in his word, in his revelation. It is wisdom that he reveals to us. It comes from every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Where do we see the fullest expression of God's wisdom displayed for us? It is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is what Job longed for. In Job's great quest, what he actually longed for was Jesus. That's what he hoped for. That's what he longed for. Let me prove it. Job chapter 9 says this. If only there was someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. Job chapter 16 says this. Even now my witness is in heaven, my advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend, and my eyes pour out tears to God on behalf of a man. He pleads with God as one pleads for a friend. Job chapter 19, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. You see, the world looks at Jesus and sees weakness, but we see the power of God. They see foolishness, but we see the wisdom of God. So where then is wisdom found? It is found in Jesus Christ. Colossians 2 says this, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So then just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your life in him, 
rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. You see, wisdom for us, how we live wisely, is not about moving on from Christ. Jesus is not just a ticket into heaven. He is our all in all. It is about moving deeper into Christ. Notice how it says, continue to live your life, your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. And that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, all of them in Christ. John Calvin says, this means that we are perfect in wisdom if we truly know Christ, so that it is madness to wish to know anything other than him. You see, we don't move on from Christ and the gospel. Christ is all we have and all we need. That is discipleship. It is about teaching people to go deeper into Christ. What motivates us to live a godly life is not looking at what we don't do. It's looking at what we already have in Jesus. It is the grace motivation. And so what is wisdom for us? Wisdom for us is Christ. But what does this look like? How do we move deeper into Christ? Well, do you ponder him? Let me challenge. Do you ponder him, who he is and what he has done? Do you talk to others about him? Do you tell your children about who he is? Do you pray to him? Do you depend on him? Do you let him minister into your life through his word and his Holy Spirit? Do you consider him each day? Do you let him establish your priorities, your motivations by what he has done for you? Do you love him and lift him up? Do you let his grace permeate the way that you treat your family and your friends? In Christ for you, in Christ for you all, need to be satisfied and rejoice can you love, can you lose everything and still consider it gain for the sake of knowing christ and that's what it looks like christ in everyday life we don't move on from him if at the end of your life you are a beggar on the street if you have christ you are a wise person that's what i'm saying but what good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul that is a fool and so don't leave here today not knowing whether you belong to Christ, not knowing whether he is your wisdom. Consider who he is and what that means for you. Think that Christ gave up his life for you, that he is the pinnacle of God's wisdom displayed. And that is the pattern of wisdom that God sets in the Old Testament. He uses the weak things to shame the strong. And we see that ultimately in Christ, who is all in all, who is for us our wisdom from God. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your great love, for your mercy. We thank you that from the very beginning, you, Lord, planned to send your Son. We know that for those who are perishing, the gospel is foolishness, but for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is your grace and your mercy to us. Let us look to Jesus and love him. Let us grow in our faith, in our unity of love by moving deeper into Christ, not moving on from him. Give us the strength to do this. Let us leave here today, Lord, not remembering a story, but thinking about how great Jesus is. What a wonderful saviour it is that we worship and we pray all these things, giving thanks to you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing this last song together.
someone to pray with you on this day there'll be um, people down the front here who are willing to do that but let us close with a passage from Hebrews 4 verse 14 to 16 therefore since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven Jesus the son of God let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are and yet did not sin Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God bless.